The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Joy to the world, the Lord is come.
11 a.m. knows how to party. This is good. Hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. You would think, based on, I don't know, just the last few minutes, today might be a day to celebrate. What do we think? Guys, amazing job. So fun. There's a Lutheran theologian in the 20th century named Robert Jensen who said famously that during Christmas, even God likes to kick his feet up and relax. So if you didn't know, if you had permission to enjoy this or how to participate, we're going all out today, friends, and this is just a sign of what is to come because Jesus Christ has come, not because we've got all the things on our Christmas list or because our families are perfect, none of that, but because God has taken on flesh and come and lived among us that we might share in his life, we can celebrate no matter what the circumstances of our lives are. And also, the last few weeks, we've been participating with Advent. We've been trying to tap into the longing and the ache of our souls. And God, how long before you come in fullness to do what you have promised to do? And there is a saying that has made its way throughout the history of the church that says, the feasting is always greater than the fasting. And so we've been in a season where we've been longing and praying. Maybe you've been fasting, but now we're in the season of Christmastide. And we are here to rejoice and to thank God for what he's done and to remind ourselves and to remind one another. So today we're going to begin with our Advent wreath lighting. The first candle we light is the candle of hope. We have waited in hope for peace We have waited in the joy of the Lord, and we have waited full of his love because of what he has done. Oh, I have one more. Y'all, it's not just Advent. (laughs) Today is Christmas Eve, and so today we light the fifth candle, the Christ candle. For now our redemption has come near in the baby Christ Jesus. Amen. Man, you guys are responsive. Pastor Jay's about to preach. Just more. Oh, man. 
All right, let's read a few verses from Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. For he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, if you would, posture your hands out in a position of prayer and receiving, and let us pray this Christmas Eve prayer together. God of glory, your splendor shines from a manger in Bethlehem, where the light of the world is humbly born into the darkness of human night. Open our eyes to Christ's presence in the shadows of our world, so that we, like him, may become beacons of your justice and defenders of all for whom there is no room. Amen. Let us worship.
this building, can we lift up our hands in an act of worship to Jesus Christ, the newborn King. We worship you, Lord. Angels, we Children weep no more. Hope is on the horizon. Weary world, behold your promised Messiah. Angels. Let 
dawn of salvation. And this morning with a song of praise to our God. Let's sing. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your
church. Lift your voices, clap. This is Jesus, the Lord, the mighty counselor, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, mighty God, are just a few of his names. Healer, savior, redeemer, reconciler. This is who we celebrate in the baby Jesus. I think it's important on a day like today to take a moment. It's easy to be wowed and just like overcome by the beauty, the music, the wonder of Christmas. But Paul says in Philippians that at the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I think this morning in this service, we have been set up so beautifully to make the decision, each and every one of us, to take even just a moment and posture our hearts before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm bowing my knee before you, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Before the rest of Christmas chaos ensues, Jesus, you have my heart. You can just tell him, say, Jesus, you have my heart. I may not feel it in this moment, but he alone is worthy. And we'll praise his name forever because there is only one found worthy and it is Jesus who came as a baby. Jesus, we love you and we say thank you. Thank you for coming in all humility, revealing the Father, taking on our flesh, being one of us, as Eugene Peterson says, moving into the neighborhood, being right next to us so that each and every one of us can truly say, he is Emmanuel. He is God with me, not in some abstract, but friends, God is with you wherever you're at in this moment right now. And Jesus, we trust that you have not only heard our prayer, but that you are responding to our prayer in this moment, that you are coming, there, coming near to those who need you to be comfort, who, for those who uh, need you to be peace of heart, or maybe a reconciler between broken relationships this Christmas season. Whatever we need you to be, if it's for healing and wholeness in the life of God, you will be that for us. And we trust you. And we ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And together, God's people say, amen. This is the time in our service when we transition to focus on giving and how appropriate at Christmas when we're going to be frantically giving gifts to one another, and I may be self-disclosed in first service trying to go, did I get the kids even amounts of gifts? <laughs> Surely I didn't forget my spouse in the midst of all that, did I? But friends, the reason for gift giving is a response for the gift giving that has always and forever been initiated by God. From the very beginning of time, all that is God made for us to have dominion over. And even when we fell, God immediately rushes into the rubble and God starts giving us prophets and giving us his word and giving us all that we need to respond to him. The Christian life could be said as it's just ever perpetual gift giving. We try and give things back to God and he keeps giving us more. And then we keep giving it back to him, and then he gives us more. And he's saying, give it to me, but give it to the people around you. The world is hurting and lost and broken, and they need to know that I'm a generous, gift-giving God. And so whatever you have today to give, maybe you don't have anything to give, and that's okay. But know that all of our worship from beginning to end is a response 
to the gifts first given to us by God. Here at New Life Midtown, we like to prepare our hearts by praying a giving liturgy together. There are four ways to give. We have some black boxes in the back, a couple of ways online. Uh, but I think before we do that, let's, let's pray this. We'll pray this corporately. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources. Free us from the deceitfulness of greed and earthly riches. Teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes in the earth. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us in worship this morning. Before you are seated, just parents, uh, in case you were not previously made aware, our elementary age children, which are normally dismissed at this moment, will be seated with us for the remainder of service. There are some baggies with crayons and stuff in the back if you need to retrieve one of those. But for the next minute, take a moment and greet those around you in the name of the Lord. What the fuck time? Mary was a young girl. She wasn't married yet. Mary got a visit from an angel. The angel was called Gabriel. Gabriel said, don't be afraid. You are going to have a baby and you're gonna name him Jesus, and he's gonna be the Lord. And she was very confused. She had no idea, she was like, I'm not married yet. How can I have a baby? And he said, through the Lord. Oh honey, I got a baby. Joseph said to Mary, we have to go to my hometown so that our baby can be born. In Bethlehem. Mary was on a donkey and Joseph was, they probably had like a wagon, like the donkey was attached to the wagon or something like that. That would not be And there were so many houses that were so full until she came to this one house where um, they were having a party, but there wasn't enough beds, but there was a barn where they could sleep. Can I sleep at your house? No. Okay. Can I sleep at your house? No. Okay. 
sleep at your bar that's so nasty? Thank you. Because the baby was going to come out of her tummy. There's no hospital in there. Oh. Just this only hay. And they set baby Jesus in a manger. And all the animals just circled around Jesus when he was born. What kind of animals do you think were in the barn, Iris? Cows. What else? Horses. But above that house thing, there was a bright star. And five or six angels came to the shepherds and said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Right away, the shepherds knew that he has been born. And then they came to the stable. I remember the three kings coming. So, so three men went, went, and then, um, and then they traveled for 45 days, I think. And they gave him, each one gave him a gift, some silver and some gold, and and maybe some iron. He was the king of kings. He wasn't just put in a palace like other kings. So that made him special. Jesus was born miraculously because God chose him to be born. The end. Merry Christmas. Um, I know he's strong and he and he still is in my heart. We, I can't run away from him. That's true, he's with you wherever you go, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, he's like fast, like Sonic. Zeke, I have to admit, I have never thought of God as fast until you told me he is fast. Because wherever I go, he is there. Merry Christmas, everyone. Well, I mean, there you have it. We've had an amazing worship set and the Christmas story. We've got Christmas cookies next door. What else do we need? We can go home right now, but I have a message to give you. We have candles to light. Come on, let's milk this thing a little bit, right? It's cold out there. Let's make it worth your drive-in. How many of you, speaking of drives-in, are visiting from out of town? I want to see all the out-of-town folks. Let me see all your hands real high. Give all of our out-of-town friends and family a hand. Man, thank you so much for being with us today. We bless you. It's so great to worship the Lord with you. It's so great to celebrate Christmas with you. How many of you are just family members uh, of somebody who joins Midtown and they're like, hey, I want you to come worship with us today. Any family members that are visiting? Let me see. All right, let's go. Let's go. Beautiful. It's so great to have you. Well, my name is Pastor Jay Duncan. My wife, Christy, and I have been in the city now for 19 years, and it is a fabulous and phenomenal joy to worship the Lord with you, to share the story of Christmas with you, and to just enjoy each other's presence along with the presence of the Lord as we enjoy each other uh, this day. This has been a beautiful Advent season. For those of you who are not familiar with the season of Advent, uh, this journey for us began four Sundays ago. Today is a peculiar day because it is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and it is also Christmas Eve. 
typically in the Advent season, you will have four Sundays, and then Christmas Eve will fall another day during the week. So we're, we're combining Christmas Eve with Advent, hence Pastor Jonathan almost forgetting to light this beautiful candle right here in the center. Our journey began four weeks ago when Pastor Jonathan kicked off Advent, reminding us that God is a God who can handle our honesty. I don't know what your journey in Christ has looked like, but for some of us, because I've, I've been around the block for a little bit, I know I look, you know, strikingly young and handsome, but I have been around the block a little bit, and I do know that in religious circles, we can kind of convince ourselves that God cannot handle our honesty. But there's something about Advent. Advent looks square in the middle of the reality of the brokenness and the pain and the disappointment and the sorrow of the world and the lives that we live. And it invites us to pull God into that and say, God, where are you? God, I'm looking for you. God, I need you. God, I I need to know that you are real in the middle of this pain of life. It's a phenomenal message that just helps center us as we take these steps into Advent. The following week, which was three Sundays ago, I spoke about the comfort of the Lord. That once we look squarely and honestly at the brokenness and pain and the disappointment of life, we can trust that God will comfort us. He comforts us with his presence. He comforts us with his word. He comforts us with his Holy Spirit. Last Sunday, Pastor Jonathan gave us a word about the fact that God, and I believe this was a prophetic word, which is just a word that means it's for now. It's a now word. It's an on-time word. It's a word that God is speaking directly to the hearts of every single one of us for such a time as this. And the word came straight out of the book of Psalm 126, where the scriptures tells us that when the Lord brought back the captive ones from Zion, we were like those who dreamed. And Pastor Jonathan taught us about dreaming again with God. That even in the midst of things falling apart or things not coming through the way that you expected, that God is a God who restores broken dreams. That he's a God who redeems the places of our life where it seems that uh, they're not going to come to fruition. And God is a God who can redeem those broken places and make them beautiful. It's been this amazing journey that leads us up to the culmination of today where I feel like the Lord has a word for us about joy. How many of you could use a word of joy this morning? How many of you in the season that you've been in, either recently in the past few weeks or months, or maybe you would characterize 2023 as a difficult year? Or maybe it's been a painful year or a disappointing year. Friends, I want you to know that the gospel is good news that is full of joy. And I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke chapter 2 as we read the story of the announcement and the pronouncement of joy. Beginning in verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph, he also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, And was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Friends, let's pray. Jesus, we're gathered here today to worship you. And what a marvelous and beautiful time of worshiping you it has been. Lord, I'm thankful for my brothers and my sisters. I'm thankful for friends. Lord, I'm thankful for those that are joining us today for the very first time. Lord, we're gathered together to recognize that Christ the Savior has been born. And because of this, there is hope. There is hope for every single one of us in this room, those joining online, those sitting out in our foyer. Lord, there is hope for all of humanity because God has come near to dwell with us. And so, Father, today I pray that you would do what only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would preach the gospel today. I pray that you would make the gospel come alive to us. I pray that good news would pierce and penetrate our hearts. I pray that joy would fill our spirits. And Lord, I pray that we would leave this place with hope because you have come to the world. And I pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I've looked over this story now numerous times over the past several weeks, my heart and my mind has been fixated on the message that the angel gave to the shepherds. And you have to understand the significance of where the shepherds were at. The shepherds, being Jewish people, were a part of a people, the nation of Israel, that had literally been sitting in a form of spiritual darkness for about 400 years. Spiritual darkness. The word of the Lord was not pronounced. The word of the Lord was not spoken. All they had to go off of for 400 years were prophetic words that were written before they had lived. Words that there would be a Messiah that would be born. Words that a Savior was coming and that he was going to be the hope of humanity. Words that said that all of humanity would be reconciled and reinstated to God. That's what these shepherds had to go off of. And here in a normal night, an ordinary night, a mundane night, a boring night, a simple night, a night like any other night, out of nowhere come these angels And these angels show up to a marginalized and obscure people. They don't show up to the important people. They don't show up to the rich people. They don't show up to people with political power. They show up to the people that are on the fringes. And that's because the gospel is for everyone. Gospel is for people that feel like they're forgotten. The gospel is for the people that feel like they've been pushed out onto the margins of society. And God is interested in those people. Not just those people that are out there, but even those people that are in here. Some of you in here today might feel like the gospel is not for you. Might feel like God has overlooked you. Might feel like there are more important people that God wants to speak to than you. And I'm here to announce to you today, just like those angels showed up to those shepherds, God wants to show up to you. In fact, I would imagine that God is probably attempting to show up to you in so many different ways that perhaps you're not even aware of. In the simple things, in the gracious things, in the kind things. When the angels show up to these shepherds, they have a very simple message. First and foremost, they say, guys, listen, don't be afraid. You know, the state of humanity apart from God is fear. The state of humanity because of sin that separates us from the goodness of God, that distorts the character and the nature of God. We don't see God rightly. We don't see God accurately. 
We don't see God appropriately when we're mired in our sin. And what that does is it creates this internal reality of being afraid. It's like the kid who breaks something. They break a lamp, and immediately they think, what is mom or dad going to do? And so they try to hide and they cover up because there's fear. The human state or the, the condition of the human heart naturally against God is, you know, we sin makes us think that God is that angry father who is just takes delight in punishing us. And friends, I'm here to give you good news today that that's not who your God is. That's not who our God is. He is a good father. He is a loving father. And so the angels come to help begin the process of reforming people's imagination of who God is. Don't be afraid. This is not a God that we're to be afraid of. This is a God that wants us to draw close. And so the angels tell the shepherds this, I bring you good news today. And the good news that I'm bringing you is going to be the cause of great joy. How many of you can think about a moment in your life when good news came to you that was the cause of great joy? Whatever that might be. I had a dear sister last week who came running up to me after second service. Several weeks prior, she was telling me, Pastor, would you be praying for me? I have a lesion on my hip, and the doctors think that it might be cancerous. And then after several excruciating weeks of waiting, going through tests, she ran up to me last week and she said, there is no cancer there. That's good news. That is the cause of great joy. Last week, my beautiful wife here just finished her first graduate level master's degree class in theology and got an A. Three days prior to her final exam, she found out that her final exam was going to be way more extensive than she had thought. She was like, I think the final exam is going to be pretty easy. And then on Wednesday, the final was due on Friday, she finds out it's going to be a five-page exam over these things that she hadn't quite studied and hadn't quite covered. And so she was a little frantic, understandably so, but she killed that thing. She got a 98 on that paper, but that's good news. That is the cause of great joy. Friends, I want you to know today that there is a good news that supersedes just health reports and uh, the reports that you get on an exam. It is good news that says that no matter what you're going through in life, the gospel has a promise that speaks to whatever your current condition is. The reality of the gospel speaks to every situation in your life where you feel like God may not be close or where you feel like God doesn't care or you feel like God is indifferent or you feel like God is inactive or you feel like God is not able. The gospel reminds us that God is close, that God is able, that God cares, and that God can. This is the gospel that is the cause of great joy for all of the people. Several weeks ago, I felt a prophetic word here in one of our services where I just felt like the Lord was inviting us to participate with his joy. As a stance of faith, after the service, I had a young man come up to me and he said, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not in a season of joy right now. And this word that you gave, I actually, I'm really angry at it. I'm really frustrated. This is very difficult for me to conjure up some sense of joy in the midst of the season of heartache and pain where it feels like everything is being stripped from me right now. And I'm going to be honest with you, that messed with me in the moment. I've been on this quest to understand the joy of the Lord a little bit more deeply. I've been asking the Lord to reveal an understanding of joy. Give me a revelation of what this truth is, of what this gift is, of what this presence and this availability is for us. 
Sadly, as I consulted some of my resources, some of these resources have a way of defining a word with a word. You know what that means? So when you look up the definition of joy in some of these resources, it says to be joyful. Okay, you're not helping me here. You ever wondered what exactly joy is? What is joy? Is joy just a feeling? Is it a heightened sense of emotion? Is, is joy just being happy? The Old Testament uses these scenarios and these examples. They talk about joy in the presence of the Lord. They talk about rejoicing in who God is and in what God has done. But there are these other practical, earthly, normal, ordinary moments that are the cause of joy, like when a farmer goes out and after they've sowed a lot of seed and plowed up the ground and waited and waited and waited, and all of a sudden harvest comes, the Bible says this is a time of joy. Bible talks about a young man or a young woman longing to be betrothed, and in that sense of longing, there is a, there is a joy. The Bible talks about when an army goes out, and they're fighting against a fierce opponent, and they really don't have any hope of victory, and yet an army goes out, and they experience victory, and then this is a cause for, say it with me, joy. So as I thought about this, what I've come to the conclusion is, is that joy is both the expectation and the fulfillment of a deep longing, a human longing and a holy longing, a, a longing that God puts inside of us that I believe honestly can only be fulfilled by God. See, joy is different than happiness. Joy is different than happiness. It's like you can be happy for a moment but not really have joy. Joy is the foundation of happiness. Because happiness, you hear the word happenstance in that, which means that you're happy only on the basis of what is happening. Are you with me today? I know it's Christmas Eve, but you can talk with me as I'm preaching this morning. I know we got a lot of people from out of town, but home folk, you can show them what's up. All right, happiness comes when something is happening or there is a happenstance that is favorable, something that I like, something that I want, material blessing, I won the lottery, I got a good grade, and so now I'm happy, but happiness is fleeting. Joy is eternal. Happiness happens moment by moment, and you're dependent on external circumstances for happiness, but joy is something that is internal. It means that it lives inside of you. Did you know that joy is actually one of the fruits of the spirit, which means that joy can be cultivated, which means that you can sow joy, which means that you can reap joy, which means that deep within your very being, you can have a root of the character of God that no matter what situation or circumstance, Jonathan said, I'm going to preach today, that no matter what circumstance or situation you're going on in your life, the abiding fruit of joy can always be with you. This is what those angels were trying to get those shepherds to understand. That no matter what kind of pain the world throws at you, because God has come near, because he is no longer distant, because his word trumps every situation, there is an abiding joy that can hold you together in the middle of the most darkest and most despairing seasons of your life. In the New Testament, let's take a look, if we would, at Luke chapter 1, we find this story of the expectation of joy. There is a man by the name of Zechariah. He's a priest, and his wife Elizabeth are longing for children. They're old in age. And we don't quite understand this culturally and societally as 
the people of that particular society did because there are studies now, I just read this article in the Atlantic a few days ago, that we're going to come to a time in our society where there will actually be more old people than there are young people because we are not repopulating anymore. But in the olden time, what we find is that having children, having multiple children, having many children was actually considered a blessing. And to be barren was considered a societal curse. There was this, there was this deep sense of shame for men and women who did not have children. So Zechariah and Elizabeth had this deep longing for a child. We find in Luke chapter 1, when Zechariah is coming into the temple to serve his priestly duties, that an angel of the Lord appears to him. He stands right at the side of the altar of incense, and when Zechariah saw him, seems to be the natural response, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Look at this, verse 14, and he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Pregnancy is a really fascinating thing. It's amazing that from the very moment you conceive, for most, most situations, when it's something that you desire, when it's something you expect, the moment that there is that conception, the moment I remember the very first time when Christy and I were pregnant with Milan, I say Christy and I, when Christy was pregnant with Milan, and she showed up, I can tell you exactly where I was, I can tell you exactly, we, we ran out, and we got an extra one of those little tests, and she came back, the first one read negative, the second one read positive, and there was an immediate sense of elation. Even though the baby wasn't born yet, what is that called? It's called the expectation of a deep longing. Friends, what expectation for a deep longing that only God can fulfill is growing inside of you right now? I want to encourage you that if you can't answer that question, I want to encourage you, God has something for you. God has something that will produce and build an expectation deep inside of your heart. For the people of Israel... Thousands of years ago, that expectation was for the long-awaited promised Messiah. For us who call ourselves Christ followers, that expectation is for the second coming of Jesus. For he is going to come and he is going to make every wrong thing right and restore every broken place the society has before us. So what is joy? Joy is that heightened sense of emotion that comes when we cultivate an expectation of good. When we cultivate an expectation inside of us that the deepest longings of our heart will be fulfilled by God because that's who he is and that's what he's promised to do. But joy is also not just expectation or anticipation. Joy is fulfillment. I mean, it's one thing to know that good things are coming. I'm one of those kind of guys that I'm a little skeptical. I hate to admit this. By very nature, I like to be optimistic, but internally I think I'm a little skeptical. In fact, when I travel different places, either Christy or different members of my team, when I travel with a missions team, they go, are you excited? I'm like, I'm not excited yet. I'll be excited when my feet hit the ground. We'll be in the airport. Are you excited? My feet aren't. My, no, we're not there yet. I'm not excited. We'll be in the plane. Are you excited? I'm not excited yet. And then the, it never fails. The moment my feet hit the ground of that destination, something wells up inside of me. I'm more of a fulfillment kind of guy of joy. Israel, my youngest beloved son, he is a cheerleader. That guy, like the moment you tell him something good is going to happen, he will not let you forget about it until it actually happens. And there's this weird thing. He's actually more excited, it seems like, in the anticipation of the thing. And then the thing comes and he's like, when's the next thing going to happen? I just don't understand that. 
So Israel is the anticipation of joy. I'm more of a fulfillment kind of guy. There's a story we find in Luke chapter 15, and it's a story. There's several stories, actually. I'm going to fast forward to the last story of three stories where there's a father and a son who are estranged. We find in the beginning of this story, some of you who are familiar with this know this story very well, but uh, the father and the son that's, uh, are experiencing deep fellowship. There's family, there's life, there's safety, there's traditions in the home. And then the son sniffs out that there's an inheritance that's waiting for him. And he asks his dad if he can have the inheritance prematurely. You know the story. He takes the inheritance. He leaves the house. He squanders the inheritance. And we don't know how long the son is away from the father's house. What we do know is that every single moment that the son is not there, and I identify with this, the father is longing for his return. The father is waiting on the doorstep. He's looking out across the horizon. The father is praying. The father is, I believe, aching in pain. When will my son come back? Will my son come back? Is my son still alive? You know, I know it's hard for us to imagine this is the day before the internet and the day before smartphones. They actually had to wait for people to physically show up. And the father was aching and waiting and longing and watching. One day the sun comes up over the horizon, and you can look at the story right here in Luke 15, verse 20. So the boy got up and he went to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Listen to what's happening here. Sin and distance from God, they pervert and they distort our true identity. Friend, you might be here today, and for whatever reason, you may have found yourself distant and far from God. You may have found yourself far off. And somehow over the course of time, the enemy, because we have an enemy, has tried to convince you that you're not worthy. You're not worthy to be here today, that you're not worthy to sit at the family table. You're not worthy to come and be a part of the festivities. You're not worthy to worship together with God's people. And friends, I want you to know that the same reaction that the father in this story had to his son is the same reaction and response that the father has for you today. You are worthy because you're mine. You're worthy because I love you. You're worthy because your truest identity is that you are a beloved and a deeply esteemed son and daughter of the Most High God. So look what the father does. When the son comes, the father gets up and he runs. Let's look at that verse one more time in verse 20. He got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son kind of launches into his speech, and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And here's what the father says. He says, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Here's the key word. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. Friends, can I just pause one, one moment? I've been a preacher long enough to know that most of us are sitting here going, I know the end of the story. I know this story. I've heard this story a thousand times. I know that's probably part of the problem. Is that we've heard this story so many times that we've removed ourselves from the, from the powerful and piercing reality of a God who runs, of a God who experiences joy. What I want you to see in this story is not just the anticipation of joy. I want you to see a God who experiences joy at the fulfillment of being reunited 
with his lost sons and with his lost daughters. Friends, there is a joy that is available for you today. I know that there are some of us in the room even now that just even this weekend you've experienced, you've heard reports, you've heard news, you've heard bad news. And that bad news is not the cause for joy. And the good news that I want to bring to you today is because of the reality of who God is and what God has done, is that due to the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit that will never change, is that because we have a God who will always run after us and his promises are sure, that there is a joy that you can hold on to even in the middle of your bad news and even in the middle of your pain. So there is a joy in anticipation. And there is a joy in fulfillment. And Seth, you can come forward. The last thing I want to share with you very simply is there is a joy in your pain. There is a joy that you can experience in your sorrow. In the final moments of Jesus' life, we look at John chapter 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's talking with them about the fact that he is about to leave. Now, you got to imagine that Jesus, beautiful baby boy Jesus that we sing about, beautiful baby boy Jesus that we celebrate in Christmas cards at a manger, this beautiful baby boy Jesus is the one that grows up to be the suffering Savior and servant of all of humanity. And he has spent a concentrated time of three years with his disciples. They've come to know this man. They've come to love everything about him. And they've come to take an immense amount of security in his presence. And then Jesus tells them, guys, in order for the greater kingdom work and the greater kingdom vision to take place, I've got to go. And then he tells them this analogy. Look with me, if you would, at John 16, verse 19. Jesus saw they wanted to ask him more about this. Well, what do you mean you're about to leave? What do you mean you're going to leave us to ourselves? Jesus saw they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Jesus is talking about his death and his resurrection. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. Friends, the Christian life holds joy and it holds pain. I'm not here to sell you a lie today that you will never experience pain or loss or sorrow or betrayal or disappointment. I'm not here that because that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is that right in the middle of all of this brokenness, you can also hold joy. And friends, I don't know how to explain this to you, but I, I can announce to you that in the darkest moments of my life, I have tasted that joy. And there are many in this room who have as well. Very truly, you will weep and you will mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. But watch this, watch this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, your grief will turn to joy. That is a word for somebody in this room today. Friend, your grief will turn to joy. Your sadness, your sighing, your sorrow, your longing, beloved, it will turn to joy. In the hand of God, it is not allowed to remain as sorrow because there is hope and there is future and there is life that is ahead of you. Your story is not over. God will pick up these broken pieces and he will breathe on them and he will mold them together and he'll meld them together and he's going to create something really, really beautiful that is going to cause you to smile again. Friends, you're going to smile again and you're going to laugh again. And you're going to experience that deep abiding sense that God is real, 
and what he said will take place. I want to read this last verse, going back to John 16. Look at verse 20. Very truly, you will reap and mourn, and you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Verse 21, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Verse 22, so with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Friends, we're going to take this promise, and we're going to take it to the table of the Lord, because that's where Jesus fulfilled this promise in his death and his resurrection. If you're here today and you did not pick up one of these prepackaged communion elements, if you'll just raise your hand, one of our ushers will put this in your hand so that you can participate in the table with us all across this room. Thank you so much, ushers. Keep that hand up so they can see you. They'll get that right to you. As you receive that, if you would, just go ahead and rip off the very top layer of your communion element. And you'll find a little wafer there that represents the body of Jesus. On the night when Jesus was betrayed by the very people that he came to save, he looked at his disciples and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Friends, if you'll just break that in your hand right now. Christ's body broken for you. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. Friends, you may receive the body of Christ. And then Jesus took the cup. It was a cup of wine at the moment, signifying and symbolizing the very blood of Jesus himself. Scripture tells us that where there is no remission, where there is no shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. And so God becomes human so that he can shed his blood, so that he can absolve all of your sins to restore you back to fellowship with the Father. That is what Christmas is about, friends. So in the name of Jesus, I announce to you, your sins are forgiven. Let us receive the blood of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. What a beautiful, hope-filled word. If you would uh, now retrieve your candle. And like so, if you don't have one, raise your hand, and there are ushers that are already down the aisle ready to give you a candle. Thank you, gentlemen. While we are waiting, I will give the announcement. Immediately following service, we will have the promised cookies and hot cocoa. They will be in the gym, which is this direction. And we would ask that if you have children in children's ministry, that you first get your kids so that you can monitor their intake of hot chocolate and cookies. And then we'd love to see you in there and tell you Merry Christmas. All right, if you would, let's stand together.
I'm going to read a few verses from Isaiah chapter 60, and then the ushers will come forward and we will pass the lit candle from the Christ candle and it will illumine the whole sanctuary. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Behold, the light of the world has come. Christ the Savior is born. And Jesus in John chapter 8 said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We know that Jesus is the singular light in the darkness. But Matthew's gospel tells us that we as his body are also the light of the world, the church. And so... Just before we extinguish our candles, I have a blessing that I want to read over you. May you this Christmas be filled with the wonder of Mary, the obedience of Joseph, 
the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the determination of the magi, and the peace of the Christ child. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with you now and forever. Amen. You may extinguish your candles. Friends, thank you for joining us today at our 11 o'clock service, New Life Midtown. It has been a delight. We hope to see you in the gym for cookies and cocoa. Go in the peace of Christ.